you know, the woods are coming to life and, you know, the birds are singing and life is coming back into the woods. And yeah, it is just, it's just amazing, you know, to watch God's creation and just the cycle of life. You know, you can just feel it. Yeah, you can. You, you know, you get out there and the sun starts coming up or just before the sun starts coming up and you hear, hear that first owl who, you know, and, and right after that, you know, you hear that turkey gobbling. You know, so it, it's was just, that with your mouth. No, that was with a diaphragm call. Oh, unreal, man. Hey, everybody, I'm Brad Cochran, hosting uh, the DSD podcast by myself today. Dave wanted to be here, and he actually was here on time. Uh, unlike myself, I thought today, uh, being opening day of our Oregon turkey season was a no-go, uh, but I, I was wrong, apparently, uh, and I misread the email. I thought tomorrow is when we were recording this podcast, but it was actually today at noon, so Mitchell, I have to apologize to you for my tardiness because you also were expecting us to be recording an hour ago, and here I am without Dave and an hour late, so I apologize to you, Mitchell Johnston, today's guest, owner of Dead End Game Calls. Welcome to the show. And again, I'm sorry, buddy. Hey, man, it's, it's no problem because, look, I'm going to have to apologize to you because actually I was late as well. I'm just now joining in because I was out chasing turkeys. Oh, perfect. Well, then it's all your fault. <laughs> yeah, just blame it on me. It's all good, buddy. <laughs> it's all good, buddy. Yeah, well, no, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that it, it is it's opening day here today, literally. And so um, I, you know, again, thinking that tomorrow was our um, was our recording. I don't have any notes, so I'm going to wing it. And I hate to cut us a little short. I will still be able to get our our hour in. But I uh, man, I'm chomping at the bit to get out this afternoon and and try to film my buddy kill a bird. So. I'm right there with you. We're it's ten minutes after four here, and I've got three guys sitting in here waiting on me, chomping at the bits to go to go hunt this afternoon as well. So I, I completely understand. <laughs> All right, man. Well, tell me, how did your hunt go uh, right before you you joined us? Oh, it was it was a good hunt. We uh, had some cattle that messed us up, unfortunately, and and we had a I won't say it was a swing and a miss, but we just couldn't find the bird. It was it was a good hunt, but just didn't work out not not in our favor i gotcha so when you say the cattle they were were interfering um were they did you have some decoys out were they coming and and bothering your decoys did, did they see you guys no they they actually uh we had the decoys out but they wasn't bothering the decoys and that's the first time they hadn't bothered the decoys um when there was some birds on the right side of the pasture and where i live is mountainous terrain and so the right side, if we went up the left side, the turkey didn't see us. Um, so we went up the left side, which is where the cattle were at. We moved them off to the right. Um, they didn't spook the turkeys then, but there were some calves that had gotten outside of the fence. And the, the moms wouldn't, the cows wouldn't leave the calves. And so they sat there and moved and moved and, and was walking back and forth in behind their decoys. And bird was coming. He came up over the ridge and the cattle was there and he just didn't like it and the the cattle ended up moving a little bit further left to call the bird back in he come up over the right side and then the cows come was moving around again trying to get through the fence and just a bad situation altogether but we got a shot off and it just didn't work out i gotcha yeah i've had that happen before myself not just had um cows blocking birds from from getting to us but um i've had problems with cows coming up you know they're real curious and they want to they want to investigate the the decoys and i've had them lick the decoys i've even had horses actually bite the decoys lift them up off the stakes and drop them on their sides before um not not fun when you're trying to say stay concealed and you've got a bird on the roost you know a hundred yards away yeah that makes for difficult situations and also when they go up there the cattle like to bend the stakes over they'll nose the decoys and it will bend the stakes and uh, so you have to play hercules afterwards and try to bend your stakes back straight yeah yeah that can definitely be a be a pain in the butt so um 
have you had a chance to take out your your daughter again this season? Yeah, um, we have. She she hadn't hunted as much as, as my son. I've got a seven year old son that's sort of taken over that role just a little bit over her. She's she's getting to be a teenager now. Priorities are changing in life, and and you know, but she still goes out and has a good time with me. But my boy, he last season at six years old, he didn't miss a day with me at all. I think he missed a half a day of hunting the whole season. You know, COVID put everybody um, sort of stuck them inside. Schools was canceled and. And no matter how bad it was, there was also some pluses that came from that, and especially getting time to hunt with my son. That was one of those major pluses, and him getting to spend time in the woods with me. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's just so important to get that next generation out there, and so great to get to spend time with your with your loved ones. Um, I was in a sim- similar situation last year with a brother of mine um, who was able to telecommute in and so, you know, where he was normally working a, a nine to five job during the week, um, he was actually given a more flexible schedule and could get out um, of working his normal hours. And so we got to do a lot of hunting together last year, and that was really special. Um, but, man, I tell you, I will never forget that photo you sent me of your daughter. And she was <laughs> what, four years old when yeah, she killed she her first tiny. turkey. Yeah, she was she was three years old. <laughs> three years old. Yeah, she was she was hunting with a four ten when hunting with a four ten was not popular. Wow, that's something, man. That's that's just incredible that um, you know a three year old child can keep it together enough, you know, to not not just to pick up a a shotgun, albeit it's a four ten, but to you know stay composed enough to to actually you know make a make a good shot on a bird that's so cool yeah it's, it's pretty awesome we actually had a one of our road crew members mr jonathan miller he's also one of our competition callers um he and i've been best friends for years his three-year-old son killed one this year with a 410 and uh you know he he does awesome he's practiced all all uh winter long trying to get ready for that and, and he done great made a perfect shot man you north carolina boys you get them started early don't you <laughs> yeah i mean you know you, know, you gotta you gotta take them off the bottle and, and put them on a 410 right that's right oh that's really cool so we just had our um our youth weekend was this past saturday and saturday or saturday and sunday here in oregon and i had the privilege to take out a couple kids who had never been turkey hunting before um and they were able to kill their first birds and man just the just the the look on their faces and, you know, the excitement, uh, it's just, it's so cool anymore. I think I enjoy taking other people hunting, especially kids more than, than actually going out and getting a bird on my own. I mean, it's just so cool. I'm exactly in the spot that you're at. Um, you know, it honestly, there's times that very little times, but this year, especially with the kids back in school and stuff and not being able to hunt with my son, um, as much, you know, I, I find myself with a couple of mornings that, that I've been able to hunt on my own. And, and to be honest with you, I was just talking to C.T. Towns and a buddy of mine from here in North Carolina. He's hunting with me today. And, and uh, one of his friends, John, and I was telling them, you know, turkey hunting is a team sport. And it is so much more fun when you're doing it with others. And, and to be honest with you, I could care less if I ever pull the trigger. Um, I, I love interacting with the people and, and interacting with the turkeys and, and seeing the smile on other people's face and the high fives and, and the laughter and the joy that, that comes over them when, when I get to call them in a bird. And, and that's more important to me at this point in time in my hunting life and the plateau that I'm in as a hunter. Um, the season, I guess you could say, as you go through as hunters, that, that's where I'm at. And, and being able to take other people, for, for me, that's where it's at. And like you said, especially those kids, we're, we're actually leaving next week to head to Iowa and Missouri, um, where we're taking um, some kids that's got terminal illnesses, cancer, um, as part of the Outdoor Dream Foundation. And if you hadn't ever heard of the Outdoor Dream Foundation, it's definitely a foundation worth looking into. It's one we fully support here at Dead End Game Calls. And we it's a great ministry is what it is. And, and those kids, whether it's a hunting trip or a fishing trip, if it's a turkey hunt, a deer hunt, a bison hunt, um, you know, a, a fishing trip in the ocean, whatever, the Outdoor Dream Foundation tries to raise the money. The kids write in. They tell their story, what they've got going on in life. And, and everything is fully paid for those kids to go hunt by the Outdoor Dream Foundation. It's just an awesome, awesome establishment and organization. And 
I'm looking forward to that hunt next week at being in Iowa and Missouri with those kids. That's so cool. And that's the, that's the outdoor dream foundation. You said, yes, sir. The outdoor dream foundation. And, and how can any of our listeners who are interested in getting involved with the foundation, how can they, how can they do that? The best thing I would tell them to do is, is do a Google search for the outdoor dream foundation and, uh, they're, their website will pull up for you um and it's out i believe it's outdoordream.org outdoordream.org and you can find their website and there's some numbers on there you can contact or reach out to them via email and they've got kids throughout the united states we're bringing in kids from south carolina um possibly from georgia maybe um taking them out to missouri and uh and taking them out to uh iowa which we're going to be hunting right on the state line so we're going to try to just hop back and forth um, but you know, it's just such an awesome organization. I, I can remember a couple of years ago, I took a young man by the name of Coulter and Coulter's passed away since then, but Coulter was going through 40 hours of treatment, radiation treatments a week. And he told me, you know, I, I was blessed that man, I, we had a, a couple of Jake's come in on the afternoon hunt and they strutted around the Dave Smith decoys and put on a show for him and, and they gobbled for him. I mean, the whole nine yards and he shot one of those Jake's and, and I asked him, and the smile on his face was just amazing. He couldn't walk on his own. I had to grab him by his arms, and he didn't want to be rolled out to the bird in his wheelchair. He wanted to walk to that turkey. And so I took him and uh, was able to grab him by the arms, and he walked the best he could out to that turkey and just sort of sat down beside of it and was able to, you know, admire the bird and take it all in. And, and the smile on his face was just incredible. And I asked him, I said, Coulter, I said, what, what, what you got going on, buddy? I said, what's your thoughts right now? I said, I said, talk to him about the hunt. I said, how much of this time have you thought about your treatments? He said, I hadn't thought about them at all. And so for that brief few moments of that hunt, you know, he was able to harvest a turkey and forget about his 40 hours of radiation treatment that, that was there that he was going through every week. And, you know, thankfully Dave Smith decoys was a part of that because those birds came into those decoys. Had I not had those decoys out there, I don't know how the results would have been, but it, it's definitely made a huge difference. Wow, what a special moment! And you know, um, God works in mysterious ways, and and sometimes um, you know not everybody is is dealt a, uh, an equal hand, and it's it's unfortunate, but it's just it's what a blessing it is that that there are people like you who are willing and able to take you know young young children out like that, and that just boy, that's that's just uh, that's so special, you know, to hear that for that brief that brief period of time, he, he had no, uh, no pain whatsoever, you know, and, and was completely focused on the, on the hunt. Yeah. And that, that makes for special times. And, you know, his father, uh, about a year and a half, two years later, we was doing a fundraiser. I was a guest speaker at one of their uh, banquets. So that to help raise money for the outdoor dream organization or foundation. And they had flown his mom and dad in from out of country. They were, at the time, I'm, I don't remember if they were on a mission trip or just out, out of country for whatever reason. Um, but the Outdoor Dream Foundation flew them back in for this um, fundraiser. And when they got there, they had no clue that we had his hunt on video. We've got a show on uh, Mossy Oaks website or Mossy Oaks Go app. It's Dead End Game Calls TV. And we've been airing that for a couple of years now. But before we started airing that, we were able to um, – edit this young man's hunt, put it together. And this is after this young man had passed away and his mom and dad had no clue why they were getting flown in there. But, um, when he saw that hunt, it just broke him down and, and he come up to me and hugged me and was crying. And, and he said, Mitchell, he said, thank you. He said, I thought that video was gone. I had no clue what was being done with it or, or what was happening. And he said, man, I, I just appreciate y'all doing that for me. He said, that was my closure. That was my closure that I needed for my son. And so, you know, those memories are, you can't replace that stuff. That's video cameras cost you a lot of turkeys. Um, they cost you a lot of deer because sometimes, I mean, we just went to Texas and hunted for three days and we didn't kill a bird because we couldn't get the right footage. Um, and I know that sounds crazy. Go from North Carolina to Texas and not shoot a bird, but you know, that, that footage is important to us. And, you know, every turkey um, that my kids have killed, that I can remember I've got them on film and I'll always be able to go back and, and watch that. But 
that's one of the reasons we call Dead End Game Calls a ministry. If you follow us on Facebook or social media, Instagram, um, a lot of times you'll see us hashtag it's a ministry. And that's one of the reasons that it is exactly that. It's a ministry for us outside of the business. No, that's that's awesome. And yeah, um, I think it's really easy for people to watch TV shows, you know, and watch a turkey come in the, the brief three, four minutes that they're watching a hunt. You know, they watch a bird come right in and they think, oh, that was easy. But no, you're absolutely right. I like to film my hunts as well. Uh, myself and my group of group of buddies that, you know, we we like to film our hunts to, you know, replay the memory over and over and over again. And we're not really doing much um, as far, you know, we don't have a show or anything that we're putting together. But nonetheless, it's still really fun um, and it's challenging you know, to get that footage. And, and, um, it's hard enough to kill a Turkey with one person, um, you know, fully concealed. But when you have a, when you have a camera guy, you're less mobile. It's, you know, you got a big camera lens that you're trying to hide and a tripod and, and, um, yeah, it's, it's challenging. And then also, um, you know, a lot of times when, uh, when you have a bird coming in, you really can't control, um, the location where, you know, where you get them. And sometimes you got to try filming through brush and around trees. And, and uh, a lot of times the shooter has to pass up on shots that they'd otherwise take if the camera guy wasn't there. So, um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I know what you mean. It's tough. Yeah, it's, it is tough sometimes. And, but, but the reward at the end when it all does come together is, is extremely, it's worth it. Um, you know, a lot of times, especially turkey hunting, we sort of push the limits of, where we set up at um, as far as being exposed to get that footage and, and that in and of itself can cost you some turkeys. Uh, do you, I guess I would say um, I can completely relate to that too. And one of the ways that we try to do with that is we try to really pattern our birds as much as possible. And rather than going run and gun style, uh, we typically will choose an area that the birds will frequent and we try to get in there before they show up. We'll get set up. We'll get as concealed as we possibly can, um, you know, with plenty of shooting lanes and filming lanes. And we've had better luck doing it that way than trying to, you know, run, run in gun style. Is that kind of is that kind of what you're alluding to? Um, not not necessarily, because we do a lot of running and gunning um, when I film. And and so that's why I say I push the limits a little bit, because, you know, what what normal people may not set like I'll set up against a tree in the wide open as long as the tree is big enough and especially if I'm in a little bit of shade and sort of try to stretch that out and just hold it still as I possibly can. And, and sometimes it works perfect and sometimes it doesn't. So, um, when it comes to hunting with kids, I feel like that's every bit as much of a challenge as, um, is trying to film a hunt. And when you put the two together, man, I, I mean, it, it's really, it's really tough trying to get a kid not to move when you got a bird coming in and then, and then waiting until that bird is in a position where you can get him on camera. Um, but regarding taking kids hunting, since you have plenty of experience doing it with your son and daughter, what kind of tips do you have for our listeners who, you know, are getting into turkey hunting with kids these days? Make it fun for them. That is the number one most important thing. Uh, kids are not going to be perfect. You don't need to expect them to be perfect in the woods, and you do not need to push them further than what they want to be pushed. Um, you know, a lot of times with my kids, you know, when I first started them out when I was three, four years old, you know, that may mean me going out and hunting for 30 minutes and having to bring them back to the house and, and then me going right back out or whatever I needed to do. You know, a lot of times for my kids, we hunted the ground blinds when they was that, that young. You know, my son – at six-year-old last year, started hunting outside of the ground blind. Um, matter of fact, he started holding his own gun and everything at, at six, I mean, like completely by himself. Um, there was no stand holding a gun or anything. He's got it propped up on his knee, and I, I told him he was hunting like a grown man finally. And uh, so, you know, make it fun for them. Cell phones are wonderful. They can play a game on a cell phone while they're waiting. Um, watch a YouTube video while they're waiting. Um, you know, just, just make their time out there enjoyable. So they'll want to go back because if, if it's miserable for them, they're not going to want to go back and you'll ruin them right off the get go. Yeah. That's a great point about uh, keeping the kids entertained, you know, with something to do. And, and one of the great things I guess you could say about, um, 
cell phones and all the fancy gadgets that they have these days is that they can stay preoccupied. And, and, um, a lot of times, you know, it, it's, it's a long wait on a bird and, um, and kids don't have as long a attention spans as, as we do when we get older. And, um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, been many a, a time when kids will either get impatient and want to go because nothing's happening. Or I've also seen it where, you know, if you take them out on a day when it's, it's cold, windy, rainy, whatever, that might ne- not necessarily be the best, best day to take them out to. So I've found that really choosing the time to take them out is really important too. It is absolutely, and and if you know there's a time where a you know a bird's going to freak on the field, or if you scouted that bird out, and you know you know typically that bird comes out at three o'clock. You know if you can get them there at two thirty, so they're not having to sit there for two hours, three hours, four hours before that bird comes out in the field. You know that's a huge plus. Yeah, put them in a position where you can try to make it happen as quick as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good deal. So, um, let's talk about your business. How, how are call sales going? Man, it's been the best first quarter. We actually ran first quarter's numbers the other day. It's been a blessing. Um, for sure, the the busiest year that we've ever had. We're starting in May. We'll be going. We'll be in our tenth tenth uh, year. Um, and so, I, I don't know if it's a combination of the Mossy Oak Show, if it's the years that we've been in business. Um, if it's the friendships that we've developed over time, just like with you guys that, you know, helping to branch each other's brand out, um, you know, whatever happened, COVID put more people in the woods and and more people outdoors. And I think it was just a perfect storm for this year. And, and I know we're, we're probably in about 200 stores now and we're growing that list and we're thankful for that. And, and uh, it's just been awesome. It's, it's been been really good our calls has improved every year since we've been in this i'm i'm not a guy that is satisfied with one particular sound and our mouth calls we've been you know that was my cup of tea that's that's where i uh that was i guess you could call it a level of expertise if you want to call it that um you know building friction calls and things of that nature was a learning curve for me and so you would you would say your mouth calls is definitely your your go-to call then Oh, it is for me. I mean, now, I mean, our friction calls have certainly came a long ways, and they're incredible right now. And I'll put them against anybody's out there, whether it's on a stage or in the woods at this point. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're just really turkey now. And, you know, and honestly, the first year that I started, I, I honestly couldn't say that. I wasn't happy with some of the tones that I was getting. But as we've changed dimensions and, and product design and development, they have come a long ways, and I mean, they're screamers. They are absolutely pure turkey, and and they're doing great as well now. Our whole product line has has grown tremendously, and all the way down to our scent elimination products and our uh, uh, waterfowl line. It's it's all growing, all hands down, all the way across the board. Oh, that's fantastic! You know, we we really we do love to see our our good friends succeed, and so anytime we hear you know of of our, our, our buddies, you know, their companies growing like in a, in a tough time, like right now. Um, it's just, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of friendships that help that helps that along the way. It really is. And, uh, just double marketing and branding with, with fellow businesses. And, you know, there's a lot of great Turkey call companies out there. Let's face it. There's a lot of great call companies. That's just the way it is. And, and you know you have to separate yourself through customer service and creating a product that is that is uh, you know consistent along the way. And and we're I feel like that's something that we definitely do, and we're proud to say that we do that. Absolutely, and decoys is the same way. Um, we've always prided ourselves. <clears throat> you know, I mean, obviously we pride ourselves on on the realism, and we're never quite fully satisfied um, with our product. We're we're constantly striving for improvement, but um, we also take a great deal of pride in our customer service. And, you know, it's just as, it's just as simple as, um, you know, treating your customers the way that you want to be treated as a customer, you know, no different than the way you interact with other people on a day-to-day basis in everyday life. And, um, you know, those people will remain loyal and they'll help support you and you can provide them with a quality product and it's win-win you know, for everybody. Yeah, yeah it is. And, and people begin to believe in a brand. And as they believe in that brand, you know, as they see the consistency of your work and the, the uh, 
the pride that you take in your work, you know, that reflects to the products on the shelf and it reflects to your customers and, and those in return, those customers reflect that to you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And the best, um, you know, the best compliment you can ever get is, is, um, you know, when you open your emails first thing in the morning or your Facebook messenger and you get a, you know, you read a comment from a satisfied customer who, you know, just got their, their boy on his first bird and, and just how excited they are. And, you know, oh man, couldn't have done it without your, you know, your Jake decoy or, or whatever, man, that just, that never gets old right there ever. No, it doesn't. And, and that's what, as business owners, that's one of the things that drives us. And, you know, I set my employees down the other day and was talking with them and I said, look, here's, here's what you got to look at that every call that you put in a pack, and it's the same way with your decoys. Every decoy that y'all put in a bag and, and get ready to ship. You know, every one of those products at some point in time, we hope that, you know, a positive impact will be made in someone's life with making memories with their, their child on their first turkey or, or their spouse on their first turkey or, or whoever, um, you know, or, or duck or goose or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, you're putting a smile on somebody else's face or, or helping to put a smile on somebody else's face because of the product that you've put into a box or a package. Absolutely. And there's a ton of new hunters out there right now. You know, they're just getting into turkey hunting for the first time. And, and, um, anytime that you can, um, make them a better hunter, you know, and, and, uh, you know, push them in the right direction is, uh, is just so rewarding. You know, we've, we've seen, I think with COVID, we've seen more new hunters to the sport here recently. And we've gotten a lot of questions, you know, which decoy should I buy? And, um, you know, how, how do you set your spread? Um, and, um, anytime that you can share those tips that help make them, uh, better hunters is, is, uh, so rewarding. And, um, you know, you'd mentioned that it's, it's really neat to, be able to be a part of a hunt between, you know, father and son or husband and wife. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are out there that take great satisfaction getting a turkey on their own for the first time, you know, as a, as a new hunter. I remember the first time I called a bird in, um, I was fortunate to have my dad with me at the time. And man, I, it just felt like such a great accomplishment to be able to do that on my own, you know, to, to do it my way completely independent of anybody else. I'd scouted the bird. I'd practiced my calling. I'd been watching videos, you know, for, for years. I didn't kill my first turkey until my third year of hunting them. Um, but, but that's special right there. You know, that's a memory that I'll never forget. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, my dad to this day has never killed a turkey and he wasn't, um, and still isn't a very big hunter. He helps him in my shop every day, just about, um, and, and he's been the ultimate father, what I consider the ultimate father. He, you know, we, we didn't, um, grow up rich by no means. And, uh, he worked a job at the DOT where he painted the yellow lines on the road and he'd done that for 28 years. But every evening that he got off work, he done for Michael work and, and he would go do a countertop job and to help pay our bills. And, you know, I'm thankful for that. Um, and how I ever got so deep into hunting, I really don't know. Um, you know, he took me on my first deer hunt and he was there to see me successfully harvest my first deer. And, and, and my brother just had dropped us off and, and I don't know, I just fell in love with, with God's outdoors. And, you know, it, it's something that each one of us definitely has a story that we could tell of how we got into hunting and why we got into hunting. Um, but we all do it because we love the sport and, and we love God's creation and being wrapped up in it and involved in it. Absolutely. And just being outside in the spring woods to me is every bit as good as the actual kill itself, you know, the, the hunt itself. I love getting up early in the morning. The days are getting longer. Um, you know, the sun in Oregon here anyways is finally out and the, you know, the woods are coming to life and, you know, the birds are singing and life is coming back into the woods. And yeah, it is just, it's just amazing you know, to watch God's creation and just the cycle of life, you know, you can just feel it. Yeah, you can, you, you know, you get out there and the sun starts coming up or just before the sun starts coming up and you hear, hear that first owl hooting, you know, and, and right after that, you know, you hear that turkey gobbling and 
<laughs> you know, so it, it's was that with your mouth? No, that was with a diaphragm call. Now the owl oh, was with my mouth, but the unreal, the man. turkey goblin was a mouth call. So yeah, I figured the owl hoot was was with your mouth. Okay, mm-hmm. but that was with your diaphragm. Wow, that's incredible, man. I I tell you, I'm such a novice when it comes to mouth calling that. Um, you know, I can barely get a, a series of Yelps out, but that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I was, I was hunting with a gentleman this morning. He had a gobbler shaker there, and he's, I was like, man, I got to find a call that a gobble because not every mouth call will gobble that I, I've got. So you, you got to find that just right one. And I don't know how that sounded, to be honest with you. When I had my earbuds in, I couldn't hear the call, so it may have sounded terrible. I'm not really sure, um, but. But he was sitting there with a gobbler shaker. I was like, no, nah, I don't need that. Just I got a mouth call. Let me just find the right one. And so I, I gobbled on the mouth call instead of the gobbler shaker. Well, it sounded like a gobble to me. <laughs> um, so tell me, how, how, do you, how do you articulate your, you know, your tongue in, in, in your mouth? And, and how do you, you know, present the air to the call to get that kind of a, a sound? Can you give us kind of an overview? Yeah. Absolutely. So I know you guys are big in the waterfowl hunting, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So so you know how to do a feeding call on a on a waterfowl call. Um, so that feeding call is exactly pretty much how I do a gobble, except I'm slowing that down. So it's tuka 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 tuka, and then I just started sort of start speeding that up, and it sounds sort of like this. So I'll start it out slow. So as you speed that took up, it develops into a, a turkey goblin. Man, that's incredible. If you didn't tell me otherwise, I think there was a there was a bird in your living room right now goblin. So you said tuka, and and it like yes, like you would present the air into a into a a duck call doing a feed yes, sir. Chatter. I mean just that that's exactly right. Just like doing a feeding call. Y'all going to be walking around with your duck calls trying to make them gobble now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still struggle with a, you know, with a mouth call and I, I, I want to get better at it. Um, I just, man, I just don't seem to have the patience and I'm always busy doing this, that, or the other. And I'm, I'm decent on a, you know, on a pot call and on a box call. And I love the volume I can get with a box call. I usually start with my box call and then I end up, you know, when the bird gets close, I switch over to my, my pot call. Um, but, uh, yeah, I gotta get that. I gotta get that mouth call down. Um, do you have any good instructionals maybe on YouTube or online? I'll be honest with you. I failed probably the worst at that. That's something that we are working on there. We do have some instructionals on YouTube. If you go to the dead game calls, YouTube channel, um, it's something that we're going to really hone in on through the summer and try to develop a little better, instructional videos but you can look up and there is some on there that you can go on there and watch for sure and and what sort of cut is your favorite on your mouth call i'm a batwing guy so i've got a signature series that we do here at dead end game calls and and it's a three read batwing it's a, a blue latex over two reads of pro if it gives a little bit of more younger henny sound it's a little bit higher pitched we we make another call in a, in a batwing style cut called the Roadkill series, and it's got American flag tape on it, and it's just straight latex, which gives a little bit more of an old boss hand top sound. Gotcha. And so when you when you say the the batwing, you, now the the bottom reed on the batwing call is cut in the shape of a of a batwing more or less, right? It's there, there's kind of a point that's offset from the center yes is that correct is that the the read i'm thinking yeah so you got a point that comes out in two gaps on each side of it and it's actually on the top read of the call um but yeah but so you got the point and and two openings on each side or one opening on each side of the the point okay and is that more of a technical cut for more of an advanced caller no i wouldn't say so um you know it basically so if, if you're used to taking your air down the center of a call, then you'd want more of a ghost to, ghost cut uh, kind of call. And I think Dave runs our ghost cuts quite a bit, um, if I remember correctly. And he runs air down the center of the call. A split V caller would run air down the center of a call. 
a shipwreck type of call, which is just one side of that cut gone, um, is is more of a center, but you can use some side air. And then the batwing style call, you know, I run all my air sort of down the right side of that call to to get that clearness and then ro roll it over into a, a raspier type yell. So it would sound something like this. So, So I don't, I don't know if you could hear that on real well over this microphone, but I started out real clear by pushing air on the right side cut of the call. And then as I sort of open my tongue up or sort of move it left, um, it, it brings the rasp into the call on the back end. Okay. And, and yeah, we could hear that just fine and it sounded great. Um, so it, which side is the, is the point offset to? Would that be the, the left side? It, for ours, our point's pretty much in the center. Okay. And that's on the bat wing. That's on the bat wing. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So, um, one of the problems that I've had, uh, I've struggled with, with a diaphragm call is I have a small palate mm -hmm. and, um, I've had more success with the youth models that I've tried. Um, but I, I've often, um, I've often tried cutting down the, uh, you know, the tape around the outside of, of, of a full frame, you know, adult model. And, um, and I've had better luck that way too. Um, you have any additional advice for a guy like me who has a small palate and has a hard time getting the air or getting, getting, I guess my biggest problem actually is keeping the call, um, in place. In it place. wants to shift yeah. around on me a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely we, we make a mini me was what we call it. So we got the roadkill series and we got the roadkill mini me's. Um, basically it's the same cut, same stretch, same material, except it's in that smaller frame like you're talking about. Um, and we have a lot of grown men that uses that call um, because of a narrow palate in their mouth. And typically I, I can see that in, in their smile. When they smile, I can tell if they got a, uh, small narrow palette or not because of the way their teeth are lined up but if you're going to cut or trim that tape off just be really careful because once it's cut off it can't be put back on so cut it in the form mm -hmm. of the call the, the shape that it's in okay. and then cut very 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 small increments from that tape at a time okay i'll try that i'll try that yeah man that, that just that sounds incredible can you give us some um can you give us some cuts on that call too? Maybe working some some cuts with your yelping. Yeah. Man, that sounds incredible. So, what is your what is your presentation? into the call to get those two different sounds what are you saying oh man that's that has been a question i've been asked a lot lately um is that what's that magical word to make you say yelp uh, or to do a yelp or a cut so for my cuts i sort of say put 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 and and you know i sort of revert back to that chalk or walk or a talk when it comes to yelping but i i don't know that i really say anything it's it's just more of a consistent airflow and, and when i'm learning when i teach someone how to yelp on a mouth call i first teach them how to get a sound out of a call and and it's going to sound something like this so once you get that sound and you can blow a consistent sound you, you don't want a, a spotty sound you want a straight consistent tone coming from that call and then it's just a matter of dropping your jaw to get that yelp. And you start slow again, just like the gobble, and work your way into it. <laughs> so it's just that slow. To, to break that Yelp over and, and to make that work. 
Yeah, you know, um, I certainly don't sound anything anywhere near as good as you. I can get a halfway decent yell, but where I get hung up is in doing my cuts, you know. Um, and, and, you know, you say, what did you say? You, you use... Um, put. Put, you put, put, put. Yes, yep. Okay, put. And when I try, most of the time, I, I'm worried that my cluck is going to sound like a putt. Yeah, and, half the time I do it, it sounds like a putt. Yeah, and a cluck is certainly different than a cut. So if you're if you're clucking, that's a more mellow tone versus a cut, which is a more piercing tone. Um, for for a cluck, you know, you're not wanna you don't want that high tone in it because then that's when it develops into the putt instead of a cluck. Um, and and so if you can keep that out, and the way you keep that out is by constricting your airflow and not putting as much air into that call. So if you overblow a cluck, it can become a putt, and which is what you don't want. So here's what a cluck would sound like. But if I put too much air to it, it gets more of a higher tinny sound making it more of a putt if that makes sense to you no it absolutely makes sense that absolutely makes sense okay so um then what reference word i know this is a loaded question and <laughs> you've already told us how difficult it is for you to put into words how to do a yelp but what what reference what's the closest reference word what's your best guess is as far as a reference word on on um on a clock i I would still use that same put word um but just a whole lot less air and when i do a cluck i sort of i keep my uh, my lips a little more um together and i build back pressure in my cheeks and my cheeks actually puff out sort of like you'd think of a chipmunk i guess you could say and when they, they puff out, I slowly release that air and making that cluck, and it keeps it dampened down and softened down in, in the sound. Okay, interesting. Okay. And are you using your hands at all to manipulate the shape of your mouth or your jaw or your throat? <laughs> I'm a turkey caller. If you're a turkey caller, you can't yelp without making your hands look like a turkey yelping. <laughs> is that right i don't think so if you if you watch all these uh facebook videos uh you know on social media and somebody's hey a new mouth call check out this sound i don't think there's a turkey caller out there that don't move their body like a turkey or move their hand like a turkey uh i mean we get into oh you're talking yeah yeah we, we get into that zone but no um you know the only time that i really use my hand is when i'm wanting to cast the call a certain direction you know, if I want to cast my call behind me, I might turn my, my hand so that keeps the, the front of my call from, you know, being opened up my mouth and, and it bounces that sound off of my hand and throws it backwards. That's, that's most of the time where, what I'm doing. As far as making a cluck or, or a, a cut, no, I'm not, not really using my hands to change the, the structure of my mouth at all. I got gotcha. you. Well, um, can you give us a series of, of calls, maybe a little bit of everything, some yelp, some cuts, some, some cluck, something you would typically do to try to get a bird fired up. Yeah. So here's one of the things that I'm really conscientious about. So especially running and gunning a lot on a Turkey, you don't know if the Turkey, how far he is away from me, how close he is or, or, or vice versa. So I always start off my routines with a very soft yelp. And then if I don't get a response from that, you know, I don't want to blow that Turkey out of the woods if he's, in the woods 40 yards from me and i i throw an excited yelp on him it's not going to be the most beneficial of circumstances at that point for us as hunters you know um so so i always start off that routine real soft real soft yelps just to see if he's anywhere close and and i typically don't do that in a wide open area unless i'm hunting a field um you know sometimes in a field i might walk to the top of a field ridge and and yelp down into a bottom where i know there's no turkeys in the field but they could be in the woods below me um, but if I'm in the woods situation, you know, I'm going to be pretty close to where I can set down really fast, um, you know, throw a decoy down and, and hit a tree. Um, so I always start off soft yelping and then 
as I'm trying to locate a bird, I get more aggressive with that yelping. And, and of course, you hear the old cliche, I'm going to check his fever. Um, and, and that really comes with just experience in the woods, how much to call to a turkey, how much not to call to a turkey. Um, but I, I'll give you a rundown. So starting out, here's what my yelps would sound like. And no response, I might speed that up a little bit, get a little more excited with it. And trying to get that turkey to gobble. And then of course, once you get that bird working your way and. And sometimes I might throw one of those gobbles in there just to give him a little bit of competition, especially if I've got a Jake decoy set down in front of me. You know, I'm just confirming to his ears what he's going to see when he crests the ridge top or walks into the field. I've given him everything that, that's there. And, you know, as you master a mouth call, you can change the tone of a mouth call. So if I've got two hens setting out in the field, I can make this mouth call sound like two different hens and then throw that gobble in there. You can add that high pitch, that and have a high hen, and then bring a raspberry hen in there. And you might throw a Jake Yelp or, or a Gobbler Yelp in there. And then throw that gobble in there. Well, if you've got uh, a Jake decoy out and or a, a Gobbler decoy out and two hens, well, you've just given that dude everything that you've given him the ears to what he's getting ready to see, which will make him a whole lot more comfortable as he approaches the decoy setup. Wow. <laughs> That's, that just sounds incredible, man. I, I'm just uh, pretty blown away. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, proper care for a mouth call. Well, I'll tell you this. I, I probably do the worst job at proper care of a mouth call as anybody, I think. Um there's a lot of people that store their mouth calls in the refrigerator after they get done um, hunting, and that's fine. Um, you know, we, we go through a lot of this material, and when this material comes to us, it comes to us with powder on it. It's, it comes to us dry, and they don't want a lot of moisture on it. Well, of course, as we work that call throughout the day, we're getting our saliva on it. It's, it you know, it's getting a lot of moisture there. Um, so a lot of the new vest out, like the Nomad vest, it's actually got mesh pockets that you can put those uh, mouth calls in. And that's probably one of my favorite little items on that vest that, that they just come out with this year was, was that, that mouth call pocket that I can set my mouth call back in. It gets it a little air through it and helps dry that material out a little bit and keeps that call from what we call waterlogging as much throughout the day. Then it keeps it fresher. But when I get done at the end of the day, I take my little plastic case, I open it up, or, or I may just lay my turkey egg call out. And if you got small kids, of course, keep them high so your kids don't get a hold of those. Um, but, you know, lay them on top of your entertainment center somewhere that not within reach of those kids. But I, I just lay mine out and leave it laying there and let it dry out overnight. And the next morning I'll pop it in and break it loose and, and roll on with it. And, and that's how I store my calls year round is, is just just room temperature, not in the sunlight. Make sure you keep them off the dash of your truck because that sunlight will ruin them faster than anything. And, you know, room condition, room temperature environment. If you want to put them in the refrigerator, that's fine, too. But I would recommend laying them out and letting them dry out a little bit before I stuck them in that refrigerator. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of your friction calls now. Um, let's start with your pot calls. What's your, what's your go-to pot call? Whatever the turkey's gobbling at. So you do carry <laughs> multiple calls. With yeah, you. absolutely. And, and, and you kind of take his temperature and see what, what's getting him fired up and, and, um, you know, do you typically um, just stick with whatever he's going after or do you, uh, as he, as the bird gets closer and you're more, you know, mindful of keeping your movement to a minimum, do you switch to a mouth call at that point? Yeah, I, I always switch to a mouth call at some point, generally speaking. Um, you know, I, I was on a hunt a couple of years ago in Florida and we couldn't get a bird to gobble whatsoever. I mean, they just wasn't happening. I pulled out a uh, one of our roadblock glass calls, which is a cedar pot call, 
and uh, and hit that thing and, and birds fired off immediately i mean and i had already tried a slate call i tried mouth calls and tried everything else but what i feel like made that turkey gobble or those turkeys gobble was i finally matched a hen in their area or a tone of a hen in their area that they're used to hearing and it's sort of be like like my wife if my wife hollers at me i'm probably going to listen to her just a little bit more than if your wife hollered at me if that makes any sense to you <laughs> that makes all the sense in the world. so so uh, that's a that's a good analogy i've never heard that one but yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah so that, that's the reason i carry so many calls in my vest you know i've got a right now i've got a uh, if you looked in my vest right now you'd see a red slate uh cedar red slate you'd see a um, one of our roadblock uh, slate calls, which is in a cherry pot, you'd see one of our walnut glass calls, um, and you you don't quote me on this. I think there might be a work zone plastic pot in there. Um, we've got a, a plastic pot that's all weather, works on a you know with the the glass or the slate, and we've got a, a striker that's called a flood zone striker, and and I can literally take those all weather calls. I can do them on any of my wooden pots, so just like that bird in Florida. If I wouldn't have had that. Uh, flood zone striker man it's a little ten dollar striker and it made a difference for that hunt because my call got moisture on it now even though it was a bluebird sky day that that moisture was still there and i was able to take that striker and and use it even though that moisture was on that glass and was able to continue calling those birds but you know i could take those little plastic calls and take that all-weather striker the flood zone striker and literally turn my spigot on run that call underneath the spigot no matter if it's slate or glass or aluminum and run that call while that water is being poured on it. And that's, that's called your, your flood zone striker. Yes, sir. Man, I'm going to have to pick up one of those because one of the downsides to out here in the West, Western Oregon, the West side of the Cascade summit here is we get a lot of rain, man. And you never know when mother nature is going to, you know, dish, dish you out a thunderstorm and, and um, you know, it's, it's not always that a, an ideal time. And I tell you, I, I've had more than one occasion when I've been working a bird and, you know, you, you might have just a single raindrop, you know, hit the surface of your, of your slate. And man, I tell you, it's, it's hard to get, you know, to get any sound out of it, let alone, you know, a realistic sound, um, from your slate once it gets wet. Yeah. And you know, that I happen to know a guy, I might can get you one of those. <laughs> do you yeah you know a guy yeah i might know a guy <laughs> we'll put them to use i, I promise you and you said that that works on any surface. It, it does yeah slate glass aluminum you know it, it really doesn't matter with any call it doesn't have to be just a dead end game calls call you know they they work with any call outstanding and and so what would you say is the best surface to use if you're expecting wet conditions or or is there well, with that striker, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's slate or glass or aluminum. It, it really doesn't matter at all. So it depends on whatever surface you like to use. I, I have a tendency to run glass mostly um, if it's raining, but, but you can run any of them with, with that flood zone striker. And tell us about the differences in in the, the different surfaces, you know, your your glass and your in your slate and in your aluminum well your your aluminum is going to give off a higher frequency the way i i have our pot calls designed it it's one of those calls that we actually take in a we have the aluminum cut locally here at a local shop then we have it um, we bring it into our shop and we have a bead blasting cabinet and, and we actually bead blast that aluminum to put a grit on there so it'll grab your striker easier um, and then we have once we get that process done we send them off and have them anodized uh, black and then when we get that back in we put our logo on it and then we put it into the pot and glue it in there um, which gives a couple advantages because we already bee blasted those you don't actually have to take in a, a condition that call as much you can take a piece of alcohol or alcohol wipe and and condition that call and that's mostly the, all the conditioning you have to do to it of course keep your hands off of it so you don't get the grease off of your hands a slate call is probably the one of the most uh, beneficial especially for new friction collars to use it has the least amount of conditioning you take a little brillo pad you buff it off and it's good to go and the same way with your striker tip take your striker tip and brush those off with a piece of brillo pad as well um, glass calls also have a high frequency they have a long range of vocalization if it's windy i like to use a glass call quite a bit uh, especially like our walnut pot calls they got a walnut over uh, over our cedar calls um, one, it's a little harder, thicker density wood, and, and it will carry a sound just a little bit further. It's a higher pitch sound as well, but the cedar calls will 
will certainly uh, it's got more of an old boss hen kind of sound to it than over our walnut glass call. So it's just two different turkeys. Um, and then uh, that, that pretty much covers about all those surfaces, I think. Do you condition, um, when, when you're conditioning a, a pot call, are you conditioning just a, a small area or do you condition, you know, the whole, the whole surface? Now I, I tend to see, especially on a, uh, a glass call, you know, you see a lot of people that I condition the whole surface. That's not who I am. That's not what I do. I'll condition a piece, just a, about a 50 cent piece, you know, if, if in comparison, and I can use that for years. Um, you know, one of the things with the glass call, we sell a conditioning stone separate or uh, our wooden pots all come with a conditioning stone. Um, make sure that you condition that call the same direction every time. I, I sort of condition my calls east to west um, and, and just make sure that, you know, in a horizontal fashion. So make sure that you, you condition that call the same direction every time. Don't don't be condi- turning that conditioning stone left and right and then up and down and, you know, give a good consistent scratch because that scratch is what causes the vibration and vibration is what causes in turn the striker um, to, to produce that yelp hmm. or cut or purr or whatever. Well, that's great advice. Yeah. Well, you learn something new every day. This whole time I've been really not paying any attention to the direction. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to give that a try now for sure. It'll help you produce more consistent sound for sure. Especially on a cluck of purr. If you, if you can run that left and right, you know, and you're dragging that, if you could look at that through a microscope, you know, and, and seeing the cut in that glass left to right, and you're putting that striker on there, you know, you're really bouncing that striker over those little grooves, which will help produce a, a easier, easier purr for sure. Okay. So when you're using your, your striker, you're going over the, over the, um, the grain, I guess, so to speak, you're not, you're, you're not going the same direction that you condition the call. You're going the opposite direction. That is correct. Yep, the opposite direction. Man, that's super helpful. Okay, now tell us about your box calls. Well, box calls, we, we only have one box call right now. It's a walnut base with a purple heart top, and and it gives a good high front end and a, a low raspy back end. And all of our box calls are tuned for two sides, so basically you have two different hens um, on on each call. So that way if you want to present yourself as two different hens, you certainly can do so. And, and box calls, those windy days, is uh, box calls is where it's at, outside of the glass calls. They, they, they have a tendency to reach out and touch a bird. When You know, if I'm hunting out in the Midwest, out in, you know, um, uh, Nebraska, so to speak, there's hard, not hardly in Here in the mountains of North Carolina, they, there's not many days that aren't windy. And the way to fight that wind is with a box call or a glass call. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I do a lot of hunting in wide open places. And um, box call is definitely my number one locator call um for sure just because of that that volume you get and I, i'll tell you one of the my, my my biggest go-tos on a locator call is a uh is a goose call <laughs> you know you're the first person i have met who is on the same page as i am there i love a goose call i carry it with me everywhere um doesn't matter what what part of the country i'm in um i blow that thing and, uh, boy, it's, it's incredible how effective it is. Oh yeah. It, it'll jerk a gobble out of a turkey most of the time, but you know, I carry a pink goose call and a couple of years ago that I had an outdoor rider come in and there was, and then a film or a film crew come in to film me on a turkey hunt and they was writing an article about it. And, and, uh, so I had my pink goose call in, in my vest and I pulled that out and had a turkey gobble at it. And they looked at me like, that's unbelievable. And I'm like, well, you know, that's what a goose call does. And it makes a turkey gobble a lot of times when nothing else will. And I told them, I said, they asked me, they're like, well, we do have a question. I said, well, what's that? And they said, why carry a hot pink goose call? I said, let me ask you this. Did you ask me for my hot pink goose call or did you ask me why I carry a hot pink goose call? And I said, everybody else, when I carry any other color, by the end of the day, they're asking if they can have that goose call. They never asked for the hot pink one. <laughs> It's an interesting strategy, but an effective one. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, that's great. Well, um, so where where can we find you? Oh, you can find us, of course, on the Mossy Oak Go app um, or on the Mossy Oak website. You can watch our videos there. Um, and, and 
I think they're on Roku, Amazon, Apple TV, so on and so forth with that Mossy Oak channel. But you also look us up on our website, deadendgamecalls.com, and you can find us, of course, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Dead End Game Calls on there. Look us up. Give us a shout. And if you have any questions, if you're out there listening that we did not answer, I'll feel free to reach out to us, send us a message, and we'll try to take care of that. You can email us also at customerservice at deadendgamecalls.com. Awesome. Well, uh, Mitchell, we sure appreciate you being here. We're just about out of time. Um, I hate to cut this podcast short, but uh, I got a couple of long beers that, that need killing. So um, we're going to wrap up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you, and I've got three guys waiting on me. <laughs> okay, man. Well, uh, you better – you better not keep them waiting. So um, always a pleasure. Um, really, really appreciate everything you've done for us and your support, buddy. And um, hope hope you stay safe. And uh, best of luck with not only your call company, but uh, your upcoming uh, turkey season, man. And and go get go get some of those kids. Um, you know, get them an experience of a lifetime. That's just such a great, great, great organization. And from the sounds of it, that. Um, Dream Foundation organization is that what's Outdoor, outdoor Dream, dream. Out, Outdoor Dream okay. Foundation? Yes, sir. Real good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Mitchell Johnston of Dead End Game Calls. Thanks again, buddy. Hey, man, thank you for the invite. One of these days, we want to get together and go shoot a turkey together. It would be my pleasure. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of DSD Hunting Podcast. Um, we'd really appreciate you helping us grow this podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or even just share on social media. Uh, that goes a long ways. We'd love the chance to keep bringing fresh content. So if you don't already, follow us, Dave Smith Decoys, on Instagram and Facebook for updates on new episodes. We'll have opportunities for customers to get involved too with the conversation and ask questions. So keep an eye out every Friday for new episodes. And thank you so much for all your support and for listening to us.